0: Hi, I'm Vincent Andrasani, and this is episode 37 of The Place of Sound. <laughs> thanks very much for tuning in to this episode, and thanks also to those who've been following along through the last few episodes of the show. For those who happen to be listening for the first time, The Place of Sound is a show that explores the theme of space, or the social geography, using sound and listening. We do so through a variety of audio media formats, so you can expect to do a few different types of listening in a single show. Episodes consist of what we refer to as audio portraits, or oral history style interviews that explore the topic of home soundscape compositions, which use everyday sounds to communicate the personal and social significance of a given place. And we typically end the episode with a short documentary style piece that explores the place-based identity of the producer. The aim with these particular projects is to allow the producer to think about the places that made them who they are today. These are the types of projects you can expect to hear on The Place of Sound, and in this episode, all of them were produced by students here at Carleton University. They're what gets produced in COMS 4501, Digital Media Production, which is a fourth-year workshop course in the Communication and Media Studies program. Before we listen to the projects, we're going to take a quick second to hear about a documentary podcast series produced by Megan Linton, an Ottawa based researcher and disability justice activist. The series is called Invisible Institutions and it explores the injustices of large scale state institutions and their effects on those who are labeled with intellectual and developmental disabilities. There are now seven episodes in the series, each of which opens up a different chapter about the history of institutionalization in Canada, showing the ways that this history still very much shapes our present. It's a timely production in light of the pandemic, and it raises questions about the ways that we do or do not care for the most vulnerable people in our society. The following is a trailer for the series, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about it, check out Invisible dot com or follow them on Twitter using the handle at INV institutions.
1: I have prison pen pals and there's more similarities between my living situation and the living situation in a prison
2: institution. It was like a prison. And I know that sounds hyperbolic, but it was. We were basically locked in our rooms completely alone.
3: Introducing Invisible Institutions, a new documentary podcast exploring the horrors of large-scale state institutions for people labeled with intellectual and developmental disabilities in Canada. The host and creator, Megan Linton, is a researcher and disability justice activist investigating the unreported and invisibilized horrors of the institutional system. Join her on her journey to the grounds of current and former institutions, including interviews with survivors, community activists, and experts as they work together to expose the exploitation Isolation, resistance, and survival facing people labeled with disabilities. What do we want we are people. When do we want it? Now! Yeah! Find Invisible Institutions wherever you get your podcasts. Coming February 2022.
0: Okay, on to the projects. In this episode, we'll listen to an audio portrait, a soundscape composition, and an audio documentary. Three projects in total. The first is an audio portrait by Thomas Puda titled From Nest to Nest. It consists of an interview that Thomas conducted with his friend Serena on the topic of home. In it, Serena describes what home means to her today and in so doing she questions whether or not she has a space that fits her description of what home is. The second project is a soundscape composition titled Food That's Good for the Soul by Emma Poole. In this piece Emma brings us into her kitchen as she prepares a meal while describing her relationship with food. She tells us about her newfound interest in cooking and how even though she can't say it was inspired by the cooking of her parents she does believe that it all started when she was young. And lastly, we'll listen to an audio documentary by Danny Clayton titled Building My Essence. This piece is about the ways that place has shaped Danny's identity, and so she brings us into some of her most meaningful spaces in the city of Ottawa and beyond it. Okay, let's begin with Thomas's audio portrait titled From Nest to Nest. Thomas? Over to you. My name is Thomas P. I'm a student in my fourth year of communication and media studies with a minor in English. This project is about how you grow after leaving the nest. In it, I spoke with a close friend and confidant about her experience with growing up in nature and how it made her who she is today.
2: Home as a feeling. And it's like where you feel the most comfortable and secure and truly at peace. I, I, right now I don't really have one. I don't have a home right now because the house that was my home and like how it was, isn't there anymore. So I don't really have one right now, but what it was, was my mom's house right now, because that's where I really like grew up. Like as a kid, my childhood was that, House, um, in the woods like I, I was a nature kid but then teenagers and stuff I was a suburb kid but we went back and forth but I always ended up with my mom's mom's was always home it was always like oh if I'm at mom's I'll have everything I need and it's like oh if I'm at dad's I'll have most of what I need but there might be that one specific thing but it's at my mom's because my dad hopped around, like, he never really had, like, one house, not that far, and so, like, I was able to, like, create my own space. At my core, I'm a nature kid, like, deep inside, if I truly immerse, is it the word, immerse, like, immerse myself into that lifestyle again, then, like, truly embrace it, like, not caring about, like, what i look like you can't care about that if you live that kind of a lifestyle you know you can't like carry around a makeup bag you know you can't have that level of vanity which i think for me would be really hard to do because i'm so self-conscious so i have to like lose that but i think if i truly embrace that i I'd, I'd go back to that nature person I think I really developed, like, kind of, like, intellectually while living in the woods because I really only had myself, my siblings, my parents, who are teachers, and my dad was really athletic, so he really made sure that we were active, and my mom was my mom loves education and child development and all that stuff. Like she's so passionate about that. So she was really, she really made sure that we were at our stages and our like and what we should be doing at that time. Like she's really on that shit. We had so much educational shit in our house. It was so obvious that at least one of the parents was a teacher, and then it just so happened that like, oh, my dad also gets some off. <laughs>
1: Hello, good evening to whoever is listening. My name is Emma Poole, and I want to welcome you to my second project for my digital production class. This is my soundscape composition where I attempt to guide your ears through my most beloved hobby, cooking. Cooking is a newfound passion of mine, and I hope that this composition will communicate that. There is nothing my ears like more than the sound of a good meal. The crackling of the pan, the bubbling of boiling water. chopping of vegetables. My food journey has been a long one, so let's talk about it while I make a meal for my roommates. Today, I'm making an almond crusted chicken and veggies, but not before I brew myself a nice cup of tea. Growing up, food wasn't a big part of my childhood landscape. My mom did most of the cooking because I think she thought that it was her place and duty as a mother, but possibly also because all my dad could make were cheese sandwiches. And by cheese sandwiches, I'm not talking grilled cheese. I'm talking plain old mozzarella cheese between two slices of white bread. Although I'm grateful that my mom and dad tried their best to keep us nourished, their lack of passion or interest in the art definitely made itself known on eating their food. When I look back on my life now, I think my passion of food has always been there. My favorite thing to do was play restaurant, a game where I would steal my mom's pantry items and mix them with whatever I could forage outside. And of course, my number one customer was always my younger sister. Flashing forward now to university, when I left home, I wasn't anticipating the discovery of what was, and what has, become such a deeply rooted passion. My parents were generous enough to pay for my meal plan on campus, and although everyone has had their qualms with the calf, it was where I began to open my palate to new flavors which made my impression of food go from black and white to technicolor in such a short period of time. All of a sudden now, I'm 21 years old in my fourth year of university, and we've all batten down the hatches shielding ourselves from a threatening virus that's wreaking havoc on our fellow humans. For me, it was an experience that rocked me to my core and exposed me to some of the darkest moments that I could never have even anticipated. I needed something to do to distract me from the unfortunate events that burdened my brain on a daily basis. I started cooking. It was fulfilling to do something with my hands and turn my brain off while creating something good for the soul. I knew there was something about cooking that appealed to me, I didn't know what it was then, but I do now. Along with the much-needed distraction, it gave me a sense of competence that I had never had before. I had been a terrible student, athlete, artist, and to be honest, I felt the frustrations of watching my friends excel at everything while I struggled with everything. When I started cooking daily, it lent my life a purpose that it so desperately needed at the time, and still to this day. It has turned into a hobby that I will take with me for the rest of my life, and I guess at the end of the day, I'm thankful for the space that let me explore this hobby of mine.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. hmm mm hmm Nice bite. good.
4: When tasked with considering my place-based identity, I was initially apprehensive. What is there to say when one place is all I've known? However, as I peeled back the layers of my own life, I quickly realized that I did in fact have a story to tell. Without further ado, here it is in the form of an audio documentary. I would like to begin by acknowledging that I am a settler and the place I consider home is located on the unceded, unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Nation. We were living in a small home in the Bridalwood area. It was very small, almost apartment size. So when we had you, that was three children and we needed more space, so we decided to upgrade to a larger house. I am 21 years old and I have lived in Ottawa for 21 years. I grew up in the same house my whole life in a suburb called Kanata. As a child, I possessed a certain duality, At school, I led every game on the playground and chatted the most in every classroom. However, when I played hockey after school and on the weekends, I was the quiet kid in the dressing room. Despite my reserved nature, I loved being at the rink playing hockey. In fact, my mom Rochelle explains that it was something I had been wanting to do from a young age. Ever since you were a baby, you were at hockey arenas watching your older siblings play hockey, so... There was no question that you were going to follow in their footsteps. You were, you were so interested in it that we had to start you in ringette at the age of three because you were too young to play hockey. While I played hockey all over Ottawa throughout the years, my team's home rink was the Kanata Recreation Centre, also known as the KRC. Only a two-minute drive from my house, this is the arena where I spent the majority of my time. I was happy to be there because I viewed hockey as a simple source of enjoyment. While that certainly was a big component of the game, I now realized that hockey was the vessel through which I built the foundation of who I am. While I sat quietly and observed my surroundings, I began absorbing lessons about teamwork, responsibility, grace, and leadership. Most of these lessons were enacted by the coach I had for any given season. Some coaches took a colder, professional approach to their leadership. They prioritized punishment to achieve their desired results, such as making a skate lapse after a poor performance in a game. Other coaches took a friendlier, more positive approach to the job. They praised successes and normalized failures, fostering a supportive and encouraging environment for young girls to grow in. One of these positive coaches who I was fortunate enough to have for numerous years was Coach Mike. Unconsciously, as I walked through the doors of the KRC on a weekly basis, I was making note of Coach Mike's approach to leadership. Returning back to the KRC now at 21 years old, numerous years past the prime of my childhood hockey career, I am faced with memories. As I walk into the B rank, I see the practice where my teammates and I were stressed about a big upcoming game. In the last 15 minutes, Coach Mike set up a game of hockey, soccer, baseball, and we were overjoyed and skated around frantically with smiles plastered on our faces. I make my way to the A rank and I see the bench where I was hard on myself for making a bad play. Coach Mike came over, walked me through the play and what I could have done differently, and ended it with a joke and a smile. I started my next shift feeling confident and reassured. With the loud ping of a puck hitting the glass in front of where I stand, I am brought back to the present moment. I take one last nostalgic lap around the arena before leaving. Once hockey was over and no longer occupied the majority of my time, I started working full-time at a campground in Ottawa. The business was seasonal, operating from May to October. The first couple of years, I worked as an assistant to the campground manager and got comfortable working in an office setting. Simultaneously, I was beginning my first year of post-secondary school at Carleton University, living on residence and away from home for the first time in my life. At times overwhelming, the main emotion was excitement for learning, growth, and new experiences. I was thrilled to be taking classes about subject matters I was interested in, particularly feminism. I read stories about the systemic discrimination that women face in society. Hearing these accounts was at times disheartening and jarring, but the community of women these stories came from was welcoming and dedicated to making a change, a cause I was happy to join. On the morning of December 2nd, 2018, I received some bad news from an old teammate. Coach Mike, who had been battling brain cancer, had passed away. Disoriented, I skipped class, put my AirPods in, and left my residence room. Before I knew where I was headed, I found myself at the water on campus. The continuous rush of waves drowned out my thoughts. I sat in the snow and began to process my grief. After walking back to my room that morning, I took a video of the water. To this day, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I go back to that video and let the waves soothe my worries. After a couple of years at the campground, I eventually became the office manager. I was excited to take what I had learned about admirable leadership qualities and implement it with my team. I had the experience, the responsibility, and the determination to rise to the occasion. However, not everyone agreed that I was up to the challenge. As a 20-year-old woman working in a sector with a large population of older, retired men, I dealt with frequent casual sexism.
0: You always know that young girls like you aren't responsible enough to deal with this important stuff. When the manager gets in, tell him to.
4: Right, well I'm the manager.
0: Yes, when he gets here, tell him to contact me.
4: What I had been learning about in the classroom was happening to me. The first couple of times, it threw me off my game. I got very upset at the audacity of these men. Watching them happily walking away after spewing overt sexism was difficult to deal with. But ultimately, I knew I earned my title, and I knew I was great at my job. I continued to lead with kindness, walking my team through their mistakes and encouraging them to laugh them off. After four successful years at the campground, I hung up my key for good this past October. Looking forward, I will be graduating in the spring and plan to spend some time traveling. The duality I embodied as a child has stayed with me and manifests itself through my split introvert, extrovert personality. The lessons I learned at the KRC and the strength I channeled at the campground have made me a confident, competent leader. The lessons I have learned on campus, both academic and not, inspire me to make a change for the better in the world. Now, as I ponder where I will be in six months, and even six years, I know that Ottawa will always be the place where I grew into myself and my leadership.
0: Thanks very much for tuning in to this episode of The Place of Sound. But before I sign off, a couple of quick notes. A reminder that what we've listened to here on this show is only a fraction of the work produced in association with this project. If you're interested in checking out more, have a look at theplaceofsound.ca where you're not only able to hear this audio work, but also to see some of the original photos and the writing that students produce to go along with the audio. There's also a featured work section on the site's blog where you can access some notable individual projects. And in the classes section, you can have a look at the portfolio websites designed by students themselves, which host every project produced in the course. And lastly, under the listen link, you're able to access the show's archive and listen back to any episode of the show that you'd like to hear. But in the meantime, Keep your ear out for upcoming episodes of the show, which air on CKCU Radio every other Monday at 6.30 p.m. and are available wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Place of Sound.